people gather here in this place this morning. And we want you to make us intercessors. Would you help us pray, Lord Jesus, just as your disciples asked? Would you teach us while we pray? And would you use us as we pray? Lord, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let us be transformed as we see you, as we hear of our brothers and sisters, as we are used, Holy Spirit, by you as intercessors. And would you do miraculous work that eternity will tell because we have bowed our heads here before you this morning. This is what we ask in the strong name of Christ. Amen. You can be seated. Quickly, I've already given you all the notes for your outline, so you don't even have to write anything down. It's just there for you. I'm going to skim it for you, okay? Four points, four ideas, I think, in those opening six verses. Each case, we see something of Paul, and it gives us direction for prayer for our brothers and sisters. In the opening verse, we see Paul speak of the hope and the supernatural strength to persevere that Christ has given him in the midst of his sufferings because he knows of the glory of his witness for Jesus Christ. So let's pray for some of our brothers and sisters that they would know how glorious their witness is, even though it may look like it's absolutely a losing battle. Next, Paul speaks of his commitment to the purity and clarity of the gospel. Let's pray that for our brothers and sisters this morning, that they would cling to the gospel and go deeper in it and find it as the solution to everything that makes sense of their lives in the midst of the incredible injustice and evil that they face. Third, Paul speaks openly of the spiritual battle that he's in the midst of and what the enemy seeks to do. So let's pray, as Paul speaks of, that the glory of Christ would be supernaturally revealed to men's hearts through our brothers and sisters' suffering. And also, let's just pray that Satan's efforts would be overturned, in fact, would be turned against the kingdom of darkness. And finally, we note Paul doesn't promote himself, but he revels in the miraculous work of the gospel in his own heart. And he says, the one who said light shall shine out of darkness, he's the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of Christ through the gospel. And he revels in it, and it makes him an unashamed witness. So let's pray for these brothers and sisters that they would be unashamed in their witness because of the miraculous work of the gospel in their own lives. A few prayer points for you. Let's take a look at some of our brothers and sisters, and then we'll spend some time praying here this morning. Musalam and her husband are in their 70s. Twenty-some years ago, one of her daughters came to faith in Christ, and Musalam's daughter began to share the gospel with the family. The parents, Musalam and her husband, both came to Christ, as well as one brother, Anton. But the four other children did not. In fact, they became very upset with their parents. When Musalam began giving Bibles to her neighbors, it was too much for the children. One of the daughters then died unexpectedly. The oldest daughter, Inessa, then accused her mother, Musalam, of murdering the daughter. In time, Inessa and her siblings went on to try and sue their parents. Because of their faith, they were finding, trying to find a way to silence them and turn them back to Islam. 
They took them to court. They lied about their character, but the siblings quarreled so much that the lawsuit couldn't proceed. There were times when Inessa, in harassing her mother, actually beat her mother. Eventually, she began to spread rumors that Musalam was crazy. She managed to conspire to get her mother kidnapped and put into a psychiatric hospital. There, she told the doctors and nurses um, that she was crazy. They would hold her down and they would give her shots. The shots would make Musalam unable to walk and they would also cloud her thinking and leave her confused. There in the hospital, when she asked the doctors and nurses for help, they told her, you should have remained in Islam. She was there for several weeks. She got out. It's taken her three years to fully recover. Musalam is not ashamed of Christ. There was a court case after her time in the hospital because of the family. A Muslim judge tried to provoke her and asked Musalam the question, why have you not made the Islamic pilgrimage? She very boldly replied to him, the pilgrimage is a man-made institution. It is not authorized by God. Oma and her husband also live in Uzbekistan. Oma came to faith about 20 years ago, and her husband. They started several house churches just by sharing the gospel with neighbors and then reading the Bible with them and discipling them over the course of time. Oma found creative ways to minister to women who are often very hard to reach and don't have the freedom and the mobility of the men in her society. She found ways to, women, to minister to women through tea. She welcomes them into her home. She visits with them over tea and begins to talk to them about the Lord Jesus. She shares the gospel and builds relationships. And when they place faith in Christ, Oma disciples them and does Bible study with them. But if anybody ever asks, we're just getting together to have tea because that's what ladies do. Oma's, Oma and her husband found that eventually their efforts were noticed by the authorities who came to their house and threatened to put them in prison, and so they were forced to move. In that new city, they repeated what they had done, and the cycle repeated itself, and they were forced to move again. Oma's passion is to make disciples and to make leaders and to send them out to do the same. Umida is one of the leaders of Oma's ministry, one of the fruits that Christ has given through her ministry. Umida, as a young girl, had brothers who always treated her badly. They used to tell Umida, you are the ugliest woman that we have ever seen. Umida heard the gospel through her older sister. Umida's older sister was discipled by Oma. And then she shared the gospel with Umida. Umida came to faith in Christ. She said, from the first time I heard the gospel, I responded. I knew it was what I wanted. And so her sister would travel, and they began to meet monthly to have tea together. As they had Bible studies, eventually the brothers learned about it. They came to Umida, and they beat her. They told her to forsake her faith in Christ. The oldest brother took her Bible and he burned it. 
She eventually managed to get her hands on a new Bible. He managed to find that Bible and burn that one six times. Six Bibles Umida has gone through over the course of many years, though she locks them in the strong box or hides them in the best places that she can find. Her brothers at one point began to uh, uh, bring about proceedings to force her to marry a man who, of course, was not a believer. And so in order to escape that, she moved. She moved to live with Olma for two months where she was discipled more. She since has returned to her hometown, and Umida now invites women to tea and shares Christ. Umida says, for 10 years, I never laughed at all, but now my heart is so full of joy that I just want to share it with everyone. Francois Tawura is a brother in the Central African Republic. He's 58 years old. He's blind, and he's a widower. He's lost his wife. As there is much turmoil in the region, at one point, a group of Islamists attacked his particular village. There was a warning that they were coming, and so the believers in the village all fled, but Francois, being blind, couldn't get away. He tried to hide, but he couldn't escape, and eventually they found him. They beat him, and they broke a couple of his ribs. Francois, when asked about the incident, says, Would you pray for me? Because I want to be able to forgive them well, like my Savior asked me to. Ton and Ton are a couple of sisters in Laos, 15 and 17 years old. Last month, Voice of the Martyrs reported that since coming to Christ, these Two sisters have for some time been heavily persecuted by the family in this predominantly Buddhist society. They then were aggressively pressured by their parents and their older siblings to travel to the capital city in Laos and to sell themselves as prostitutes, to make themselves sex slaves and then send money back to the family. This was because of the choices they were making for their faith, that the family wanted to break them and dishonor them. The family has also repeatedly attempted to arrange marriages for these two young ladies with non-believers, and yet they stand faithful today. Thus far, they have refused. In addition to the many other things that you can think of to pray for them, Ton, the older, 17 years old, asked specifically for prayer, that they would be faithful daughters to their mother. Sahid and Mamona live in a small Hindu village in Pakistan. They are followers of Christ. In April, a relative of Sahid, who is a leader in the Hindu community there, confronted the two of them regarding their faith in Christ. And he began to ask them, why are you not attending the Hindu festivals? Why don't you come to the times of prayer? He made threats upon them and their family. He told them that they must renounce their faith in Christ. Two weeks later, their house was set on fire. Sahid and Mamona have six children. The youngest two died in those flames. They reported to police what had happened 
and the story that preceded it and everything that went with it. The police disbelieved them and in fact pressured them that they should begin to tell the story that the fire was an accident. Pray for Sahid and Mimona and their remaining four children for comfort in their grief and for Christ's presence and power in them and to renew them. So brothers and sisters, this is what we're going to do. We're going to pause here and we're going to pray. Turn to one another very quickly. If it is somebody you don't know, share your names. And then I'm going to need a bold, strong person to lead out in prayer so we can spend as much time praying as we can. Turn, greet, and then begin to pray. In just a few minutes, Chandler will come up here and he'll close us in prayer. Let's go. Thanks.
Lord God, we just uh, we lift up our brothers and sisters to you, God, that your Holy Spirit will meet them where they are, especially um, when they are feeling, feeling alone, uh, feeling beat down, discouraged, Lord, depressed. May you lift up their hearts. Thank you, God, for their testimonies that they are to us um, as believers that do not have to, um, to face those type of persecutions, Lord. We praise you um, that they can just minister to us and leave us wanting to be, to have faiths um, more sincere, more steadfast, such as theirs, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, brother. All right, you can leave your chairs where they are if you want. Um, if, you can, if you can hear, even though you're facing away, then you're still good. Or you can turn it back, whatever um, you're more comfortable with. What a privilege, right, to name brothers and sisters around the world by name, to ask God by name to come and speak to their hearts and meet them and empower them. And every single one that we name, we're going to get to meet if we know Christ one day. What a pleasure and a privilege and a joy. Pastor Manuel lives in Chiapas, Mexico, a region, the very southern tip of Mexico. Soon after coming to faith in Christ, he began to receive death threats. In Chiapas, the persecution comes from really two sources. There's the traditional tribal religions that people don't like people leaving to follow Christ, and then there is a totalitarian government that also seeks its control in that region. Leaving the indigenous religion leaves believers very vulnerable. Believers in Chiapas uh, regularly will lose their jobs when it is found out that they are followers of Christ. Some will have their homes and their land confiscated from them. They will be cast out and have to scrape for a living or else leave to survive. And sometimes even worse. Pastor Manuel had two men who came to his dwelling with a machete and they attacked him viciously. The end result in trying to protect himself is that they deeply destroyed his left arm. He now has a prosthetic arm and Manuel, after losing his job and his livelihood, finds himself delivering Bibles and audio Bibles and traveling around the region, finding where there are believers in different places that he might encourage. Pray for Pastor Manuel to be faithful and his ministry to be fruitful. In Cuba, there's a church there pastored by Pastor Feast. This church has faced ongoing harassment from the government for many years, the communist government there and its officials. The officials, after repeated threats, finally made good and destroyed the building where the church met so that they couldn't meet anymore, except they went ahead and kept meeting anyway. Though the walls were knocked down and it was now an open-air gathering, they continued to meet there. 
until the officials didn't take too kindly to that and decided they would go a step further and they brought restraining orders against the pastor and against the congregation, disallowing them to gather. And so what they've done over the course of the months is to meet in homes of different believers or sometimes to meet out in the fields. The church, would you be surprised to find out, has actually grown throughout all of this time and is seeing people come to faith in Christ. In fact, recently had multiple baptisms of people who had come to faith in their gatherings. Praise God for this church and its leadership and ask that the Lord would grant them favor if it's his will and use them mightily. Ruhula was in Afghanistan when the Taliban took control last August. American forces pulled out. Taliban forces began to sweep across the country. Ruhula was a well-known follower of Christ, so he knew that he and his family, it would not go well, and so he knew he had to flee. He became a refugee. He found as a refugee that there was very fertile soil for the gospel amongst the other refugees who had also fled. So in the community where he finds himself, and even through the network of other believers, he travels to other places where there are refugees that have gathered in other countries or in other regions near Afghanistan. And so he goes, so he goes there and ministers to them. And in the new host country where he finds himself, he finds that he's able to witness for Muslims. He, find that, he finds that many themselves are not at peace with their religion, and they're open to hear his story that he is willing to suffer so much for. He stays in touch with friends back in Afghanistan, and he prays that he might return one day. Abdullah is one of those believers in Afghanistan who has stayed since the Taliban has taken control. Abdullah and his family, though, have had to move three times to different villages or different cities in Afghanistan. At first, well, before the Taliban took control, his Muslim neighbors would often pursue him and harass him with questions like, I didn't see you at mosque on Friday. How is it that you have missed the weekly prayers so much recently? Where have you been? Those which were once just uncomfortable statements and uncomfortable conversations have now become life-threatening because believers there in Afghanistan today are being imprisoned for their answers to those. Abdullah had to close his business and move on. And so now he travels around in country, finding Christians that he can encourage in their faith and minister to with the word of God. He recently wrote a letter to a friend quoting from Romans chapter 8, and he says, quoting Paul's words, I believe that the sufferings of this present time are not even worthy to be compared with the eternal glories that are ours in the day of the coming of Christ. Pray for Abdullah, that he will be faithful, and that many would be open to the gospel that he and Ruhullah 
speak of. Lastly, then, this morning, I want to mention to you Amud and Yusuf, who are in the Kashmir region of India. And this last story is special because it is uh, one that we are very close to. It comes to us through Ravi Lange, who ministers with Genesis of Hope and uh, COI. Donna, what's COI stand for? Where is she? Cooperative Outreach of India. They do training of uh, pastors and church planters, uh, indigenous uh, in the region. What a pleasure and a privilege to partner with Ravi. Uh, he sent us a, uh, a voice file. I wish I could play it for you this morning. It's a bit longer, but just hearing his uh, tone of voice and accent is super cool. So imagine my voice is way deeper, more manly, and super spiritual, and this is exactly how it should come across. Uh, Ravi speaks of uh, a couple of men who are now involved in the ministry of COI, whom they are training. Amud was a Muslim imam, and Yusuf was a man who lived in his neighborhood not far away, who was well known to Amud. Yusuf had a Muslim background, but then he came to faith in Christ. And because he was in Amud's neighborhood, Amud quickly found out about it. And so he began to persecute him. In fact, he began to physically and verbally abuse him. He began to threaten him. In fact, he even would rouse other people and recruit them to do the same. Whenever you see Yusuf, would you harass him and tell him to come back to Islam? And you can only imagine the threats that may have gone with it. Yusuf, over time, got to be associated with COI and is in training to be a pastor there in the Kashmir region and is ministering to others. But he didn't have the choice to move. He didn't have the funds or the means to be able to get away from Amud. So he stayed in that area. And while Amud would continually pursue him, Yusuf would pray for grace and pray for kindness and pray for love for Amud. He never responded in anger to all the attacks and the threats and the words. This went on for some months. One day, Amud was reading his Quran, and he suddenly came to the realization that as he was reading, his religion gave him no peace. And yet every day, he would see Yusuf, the man he persecuted, content, at peace, and kind. And he couldn't explain it. And he said, he must have something that I don't have. He was at a crossroads, Amud was, because he knew he didn't want to be a priest of Islam who found no peace in Islam. He said, how can I give people wisdom and peace when I don't have any wisdom or peace? Shortly after that, he met Yusuf on the road. And as usual, he saw his joy. He saw his forgiving spirit towards him, but it was different this day. He went to Yusuf, and he began to ask him questions. Their relationship deepened, and of course, eventually, Amud came to Christ. He is now a follower of Christ. Amud, who once was a persecutor, has now become a friend, and today, he is not an imam, but he is a priest for Christ in training with COI. Amud has 
great background in Quran. So he has the ability to handle it. He has the ability to answer questions for his Muslim friends when they come to him to ask about it. He's able to show its shortcomings. He's able to show them that it is not the truth. And he's able to show them it can bring no peace. And then he's able to point them to the Prince of Peace who provides it. All through a man who is willing to suffer and love, be kind and be gracious, and just speak of the truth of Christ. Let's pray again in our groups, and I'll close you in a few minutes.
Gracious Lord, our God, what a privilege it is to gather in spirit and through your Holy Spirit across the continents, across time and space with brothers and sisters this morning facing great suffering for the sake of your name. What a privilege. Lord, our God, our hearts are humbled, but our spirits, Lord, are uplifted. Lord Jesus, you said, when you see the day approaching, look up, because your salvation draws near. Lord, may that be the spirit, the strength, the truth, the joy, and the glory of these brothers and sisters whom we've named this morning. Might they look up because their salvation draws near. And Lord God, we ask this week, would you do a supernatural, miraculous work in us? Would you help us this week? It will be a tumultuous week. It will be a grinding, frustrating, divisive, evil, demonic, in many ways, I'm sure, week. Lord God, might we sow the peace of the Prince of Peace everywhere we go this week. When we are in the midst of conversations, hand-wringing conversations, venting, fearful, raging conversations, might we speak, look up, because our salvation draws near. Might we be like those believers who said, oh, blessed are we, for we were counted worthy to suffer for the sake of the name. Lord, our God, might you make us your peace, your ambassadors, your reconcilers, your speakers of truth and, and the bringers of salt and taste and flavor and life in this world. Would you use us this week? We'll praise you for it, and we rejoice that you've heard our prayers. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Brothers and sisters, stand with me now and receive this blessing as we go out from this place. In the name of the Lord, this is taken from 1 Peter 4, lightly edited, but uh, so that it works uh, seamlessly for our purpose, but uh, from the word of God. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Let those who suffer according to the will of God entrust their soul to a faithful creator while doing good. And let all that you do be by the strength that God supplies so that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. And all God's people said, amen. amen. God.